You're listening to Vox Talk, the voiceover industry's number one podcast, brought to you by Voices.com. It's about voice acting, growing your business, and sharing your knowledge. Vox Talk is a show that you can be a part of. Getting involved is both fun and rewarding. It's time for this week's episode of Vox Talk. Hi, I'm Stephanie Cicerelli. And I'm Carmi Levy. This week, we're talking about YouTube and how pretty soon you might be able to pay for the privilege of skipping those ads. We're going to talk about getting started as a professional voice actor and what Vox Talk listeners think about celebrity voice acting in video games. Later in Tech Talk, it's all about Big Hero 6 and Disney's use of some amazing technology to create one of the most immersive 3D animation experiences to date. Now, here's Carmi with The Biz. The Biz, helping you grow your voiceover business. Thanks, Stephanie. This week in The Biz, we're talking about some big news out of YouTube. If you're a user, watching videos has always been free, but that might change for some of us. YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki recently told attendees of the big Code Mobile conference in California that the leading online video service is thinking about introducing a premium service that would give paid subscribers full ad-free access to the site and their mobile apps and content. She didn't provide a timeline, didn't say how much it might cost, but she did hint that it could open doors for the video pioneer. But Carmi, who's going to pay for this? Like, I mean, obviously they're trying to make some more money, another revenue stream, but who do you really think is going to be paying YouTube for the privilege of not watching the ads? It's a good question, Stephanie, and I, I think the answer is pretty clear. It's professionals who use video every day, all day. And so imagine you're sitting at your computer, you're rifling through different pieces of content on YouTube, and imagine every time you load a new video, if you've got to sit through a pre-roll, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, it adds up over over time. And if you are responsible for delivering deadline content, you're probably going to be willing to pay for the privilege of skipping that entirely. It's all about workflow. It's all about efficiency. It's all about sticking to times. And when, when you add up 15 seconds here, 15 seconds there, by the end of the day, that can be a pretty substantial chunk of time. Well, what would this mean then for advertisers? So if someone like me could opt out of seeing the ads, then how much harder do they have to work to get the other um, attention of, of someone else, perhaps? Uh, they're going to lose some of the audience, but, but what will they need to do to adapt to this? I think what it does is it forces them to raise the level of their game. So they have to recognize that it's a much more competitive environment now. You can't assume that everyone is just going to watch your ads like they once did. Now they've got options. They have an option to pay to opt out. And so you know, if you make those ads better, if you raise the level of quality, if you bring in better voice talent, better production uh, uh, capabilities, uh, then you run up pretty much a higher potential of keeping viewers watching your content. I, I keep thinking of the Super Bowl as an, as an example. Everybody looks forward to watching the ads around the Super Bowl period because they know that companies are putting their best effort into those ads that are almost like little mini movies. And it's the one time of year that we specifically wait for those ads. We don't whiz through them on our PVRs. And I think the same thing will apply here is that if you can create content, advertising content, that's just as compelling as the videos that you're watching on YouTube, uh, it will cause people to stick around and actually watch your ads over everyone else's. And so I think this is good for the industry. It's going to drive quality and it's going to mean more opportunities, better opportunities for talent as well. If we could, I would like to ask you a bit about those advertisers who are currently using YouTube as a, a way to get their message out there. Now, from what I understand, the more you pay, let's say there's a premium for advertising on YouTube, then your ad doesn't 
have a skip function. No one can say, oh, I want to skip this ad in five seconds. Uh, but then, of course, you have other advertisers, and, and their videos are essentially skippable. You have to wait however long it is before you can get through. So if I'm an advertiser who is choosing to advertise on YouTube, despite the fact that people could be skipping on the other end, how is it that I can make the most out of that first five seconds or so to make sure that I'm getting value for that ad playing and hopefully retain that customer to watch through the end? We're already seeing some examples of that now, Stephanie, that you know some of the best content is being stuffed into those first five seconds. That's basically your one chance to hook them, to get people's attention and keep them from hitting that skip button and missing the rest of the ad. And so put your best stuff right up front. That takes a certain level of, of editorial capability, video capability, production capability. It takes great voice content. It's another opportunity for narration. And so some of the best advertising work right now is being done in those first five seconds. If you are a video producer, that's what you're focusing on. That's where you've got to raise your game. And it's storytelling, right? Like they have to be able to tell a story within five seconds or at least be giving someone enough information about the story to draw them in to hope that they're going to walk away with something meaningful. Very much so. And, and you know, if, if someone hits the skip button, my understanding is, is that the advertiser doesn't pay for it. So in many respects, you've got a great opportunity to deliver a message to a captive audience in five seconds without necessarily paying for the privilege. Well, we'll have to see where this goes. Next up in the biz, I want us to talk about what it takes to become a voiceover actor. I often hear friends talk about how much fun it would be to voice a Super Bowl commercial or maybe even a spot for the local pizza joint. How hard could it be to sit in front of a mic and talk for a few minutes in you know, your best voice possible and then collect a decent-sized check on the way out the door? You've noted that it really isn't all that easy, actually. I, I know that it isn't. Having known people who have gone this road, have done voiceover and voice acting, the ones who know and address it as a business are really finding that it isn't just about recording for 30 seconds and calling it a day and, and having some big uh, paycheck that comes um, that said, it's really about how you're using your voice and not necessarily the voice that you have. Mm -hmm. That's right. We, we tend to think of voice acting as, you know, just I got some great voices. Let's go. Let's go make some money with them. But in really, you're an actor and your voice is your instrument. Your voice is your tool. And so uh, are, are you comfortable with the acting competency, the, the acting profession? Have you ever acted before? Have you taken acting lessons? Is this something that you can use to develop a character and really immerse yourself in it? This is far more than just reading. And I think when we say voice acting professional, we need to recognize that that acting is an integral part of it. Um, and if you don't if you don't go down that route, if you don't recognize it up front, um, your auditions, your results are going to be kind of thin compared to folks who really do see it as acting first, voice second. And if anyone is looking for some more tips, Carmi actually has eight wonderful tips that he's written, and we'll link to it on our, our Facebook page. We'll put it on Twitter. Uh, but just so you know, there's a lot that goes into being a voice actor, and no doubt many of you who are listening are actually professionals, and you do this all day long, and, and it's no surprise to you that, of course, it, it, there's a lot going into it. But if you're new to the industry and you're listening to this podcast, then, then it is important to know that practicing, 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 the same as if you took music lessons, uh, go to a class, uh, you've got to start listening 
uh, a lot of voice acting is actually listening. You're, you're trying to hear what's going on, the context, the setting, looking for trends, just understanding what it is about that message that needs to come across. And a lot of it is studying by listening to other people. Absolutely. It isn't necessarily about what you think you know. It's about what you're ready and able to absorb from those who have already gone before you. Who are your mentor figures in the space? What can you learn from them? Are you spending enough time and energy absorbing what they do, learning from their expertise, either by listening to their work or, if you're lucky enough, getting to know them so that they can mentor you along the way? For sure. And speaking of those professional voice actors, we did have a conversation last week about celebrities and how they're kind of dipping their toes into video game voice acting and, and animation and all of this. And we did ask you, actually, um, it was it was a neat question because a lot of people responded. We asked if you would actually play the game or buy it because of who was in the voice cast and if a celebrity had any impact on that whatsoever. So, Carmi, what were they saying on Twitter? That's right, Stephanie. There, there was an amazing diversity of responses to the VoxTog hashtag. One was a simple, nope. The game still has to be good. And, you know, as a somewhat gamer myself, I completely understand that. You know, if it's a lousy game, good voice isn't going to fix that. Another listener said, personally, I find celeb casting annoying. Takes me out of the immersion of the game and no guarantee they'll be good. And finally, there was an interesting one. Uh, one of our respondents said, if I know that John DiMaggio is voicing, I'd certainly pay more attention. For me, it doesn't detract. It just ensures quality. So, I mean, what I loved about this discussion on Twitter, everyone's got a different opinion. And obviously, this is a discussion that's going to continue because the trend towards celeb voices in video games is only getting stronger. What everyone did agree on, though, is that the voice acting has to be really good, and the story has to be great. The game itself has to be worth playing. And if there is a marquee voice that's in it, and they're good, and you already know that, and you know their, their whole reputation is not based upon something on camera, but they have actually built up some credibility with the community. There are a number of other voice actors that were mentioned. I think Jennifer Hale was one of the names that had come up. Um, you know, you just have to think, okay, well, we can all agree on the caliber of talent, and that caliber of talent can come from anywhere. It can be the workaday voice actor. It could be someone who's actually done a lot of work in film, has kind of built up the reputation in that sense, but has found a way to translate those skills. Again, transferable skills. They've been able to use their gift as an actor as opposed to their you know, their, their credibility in terms of their on-camera, people know me for this, and, and that kind of a brand that they have. That's right. And, you know, the video game industry is growing. The fact that we have greater levels of celebrity involvement sets the bar for everyone else. So I would suggest if there is a celebrity that you do follow, listen to their video game work, listen to what they bring to the genre, and recognize that there will be more projects like this in future for everybody. That's it for this week's Look at the Biz. Coming up in Tech Talk, we'll look at probably the most sophisticated animated movie ever made. Tech Talk, walking you through the technological landscape. This week, Big Hero 6 brings the Marvel Comics series about a robotics wizard teenager and his beloved robot to life. This movie breaks new ground on the tech front. It was rendered on a 55,000 core supercomputer, the most of any major animated film in history. They also used software tools that had to be specially developed for the project. Without all of this bleeding edge tech, it's safe to say that this project, which hits screens November 7th, simply would not have happened. A closer look at how tech is advancing paints a pretty neat picture of how ever more sophisticated tools are letting animators, producers, and creative talent, including voice professionals, push the state of the art with each new project. 
Big Hero 6 looks like a wonderful film. And now that the technology makes animating that much easier, will this in any way impact the quality of storytelling? Because the entire process is quite expedited, if you will. I think it will, because what it does, it puts more powerful tools into the hands of the producers, of the animators, of the creative team. And what that lets them do is it lets them shift their focus toward content instead of process. They don't have to spend so much time rendering each individual strand of hair. Instead, they let the technology do that. Then they can focus on refining the voice, iterating the way the, mo the movie looks, the way it feels. It ends up being much more artistic because the tools themselves fade into the back background. They allow the story itself to take precedence. So the fact that this is a much easier way of animating won't impact the quality of the storytelling. It's not as if, well, you know, this tool is just so amazing, we're going to speed through everything else. Like, hopefully they have the story down before they've even gone to draw it. We've seen this argument rage back and forth probably since Toy Story first debuted in 1995 that, you know, you can have the best technology on the planet, but if you don't have good writing, good production, good voice work, you know, if you don't have a great story to drive it, you've got nothing. It'll look beautiful, but it'll be empty and shallow. And so at the end of the day, uh, did you start with a really great story? Then did you layer great technology on it to make that story come alive? You've got to have both sides of the equation. And from the looks of Big Hero 6, and, and of course my son, who clearly wants to be the first in the theater when it opens, uh, I think this, this project's got it. So how high would you say the barrier to entry is? Because clearly this 55,000 core supercomputer, you know, Disney's really a pioneer in this area right now. What is the gulf between Disney and the next guy who can go create something of this caliber? Well, I mean, certainly this is a project that has, you know, a, a gigantic, uh, price tag on it. So hundreds of millions of dollars to produce movies like this. The average individual or the small producer certainly can't afford a 55,000 core supercomputer, but it's still informed. There is a trickle-down effect. So if you look at some of the computers that you can get and the tools that you can get if you're a small production house, for example, or even if you're a one-person shop, anybody with a high-end Mac and enough storage and network capability can produce something that even a few years ago, not even Disney could produce. And so we are seeing quantum improvements not only at the top end of the market, but at the bottom end of the market. And so there's hope for smaller fish as well to produce Oscar quality material. And given that they can do this so much faster, Carmi, I would imagine that there would be so many more films produced as well. Like we should be able to see a whole host of releases in any given year, not just the one or two big ones that are coming out or like you can look at a forecast in the next 10 years we want to do this. Well, that might even double. I think so, because as the barriers to entry continue to come down, the costs continue to come down, animation becomes a much more viable option for a producer. And so what used to cost 10 times as much now costs significantly less. And so now suddenly it's an option. Of course we can use it. Maybe we can use it for a partial you know, part of the film or maybe the entire film. Um, suddenly many more projects now are candidates for this kind of treatment, which means that the market grows, we need more voice talent, we need more production talent, we need more animators, everybody benefits because now everyone's diving in. And of course, as that happens, as the market grows, the, the activity on the technology front accelerates too. And so, so it becomes almost a feeding frenzy. Better technology, more people get involved, which then continues to erode cost and open these doors up for animation and video to more people. Indeed. Well, Carmi, I think that's an awful lot of tech talk, if you say so. I think you've got some really fun stuff within the box box, so I'm going to let you take us in there right now.
VoxBox, sharing your audio feedback. This week, we've been noticing an interesting trend that's been building in the film industry. All of a sudden, it seems like the major studios are devoting more attention to the Asian market. Big Hero 6 was screened in Tokyo earlier this month, ahead of its official premiere in North America on November 7th. Penguins of Madagascar has its official world premiere in China on November 14th, a full 12 days before its November 26th premiere in the U.S. There's also a number of theme parks being built, too. It's almost like a land rush, Stephanie. Universal Studios is building a $3.3 billion project in Beijing with a bit of help from Steven Spielberg. Disney broke ground on a $4.4 billion park in China. And DreamWorks has a $3.1 billion entertainment park opening in Shanghai in 2016. With that in mind, we want to ask you what you think of Hollywood's Pivot East. Do you see this as good for the industry? Do you think it'll create new opportunity for voice and production talent around the world? Let us know by tweeting us at the VoxTalk hashtag. Thank you for joining us this week. Can you believe it? Episode 77 of Vox Talk. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli. And I'm Carmi Levy, and I can believe it. To continue the conversation on Twitter, all you need to do is use the hashtag VoxTalk. We'll see you next week.